All right. Uh, nonetheless, guys, it's great to be here. Uh, my name is Jason, so I hate the teens for Puchong, for Rimbayu, for Kengsing. Uh, currently also involved in Sunway. Uh, so typically on Sundays, you wouldn't see me, all right? So for some of you, I might be a stranger, especially if you uh, recently just joined us. But uh, I'm not, all right? I call Erie uh, Nation Church Malaysia my home, and uh, it's great to be here. So uh, without wasting too much time, we are entering into a new series called Worth Living. And it's uh, really a series where we are going to explore together a book in the Bible. Now, and the whole idea of the series, this whole worth living, really comes from 1 Thessalonians 2, um, which reads this, and I'm going to read it for all of us. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, uh, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Now, before I talk a little bit more about this whole idea about worth living, right, a life worth living, let me bring you all to understand a bit the backdrop of this church in Thessalonians and how this letter came about. So, uh, if I could have a map up here. Now, we need to understand first and foremost that this church was really established during Paul's secondary, uh, second missionary journey, okay? And it wasn't really the easiest journey uh, because from the start till at least the point of this letter, uh, Paul had many ups and downs. So let me walk you all through. So it, I'm going to start from Antioch. You don't see the arrow here, but it's somewhere at the bottom there, if I could uh, point now, somewhere here. And if you're familiar, Paul, during his first missionary journey, he had a partner, Barnabas, okay? And they really went on, on a great journey, missionary journey together, okay? And it was really fruitful. Now, at Antioch, after a while, Paul made a suggestion. He said, why not um, we go and revisit all the churches that we have established during our first missionary journey, okay? And Barnabas was like, hey, I'm, I'm good with that, right? That's a great idea. Let me bring my cousin called John Mark. And at that time, Paul wasn't too fond of that idea simply because of what happened during the first missionary journey where halfway through, John Mark sort of left and... So so Paul was sort of against that idea and it became quite a tension between Paul and Barnabas. And that tension, sadly, at least at the moment, wasn't resolved the best. They went their separate ways. So Barnabas, he took John Mark, he went uh, to Cyprus and then you've got Paul who took another person who was at Antioch with him called Silas and they went the other way, okay? So right from the beginning of this journey, it's almost like the story of two friends who walk their separate ways, if I could put it that way. And the story continues where they went up to Lystra, Derby, that's when they recruited uh, Timothy, right? Some of you, you would be familiar with that name. Uh, so Timothy was where uh, he followed, he joined them on that journey, and then he went to Galatia. And somewhere along that line, remember what I said at the start, Paul wanted to visit the churches that he established during his first missionary journey. And a lot of them were in Asia Minor and all that. And when they were there, somehow if you read the Bible, it talks about how the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going into the province of Asia. So it, their journey sort of took them all the way to Troas by, by that side. And at Troas, what happened was, Paul had a vision, a vision of someone from Macedonia calling out for help. And Paul 
took that as a sign and they crossed the sea all the way to Macedonia. And when they reached there, the first place they went uh, was to Philippi. Now, I'm sharing all this. Later, I'll share why, right? So Philippi uh, was a place where, if you're familiar with that story, Paul went into jail, prison, and then there was an earthquake. And the miraculous earthquake freed them. Okay, that's here, right? So he went to jail in Philippi. And after that incident, they went to Thessalonica. And at there, that's when they established a church. I think it was roughly, they were only there for three weekends, okay, around that, that length. So they were there, they established a church. But what happened was, uh, there was an angry mob that really did not like Paul. And uh, it got so bad. Now, here's why I like the church at Thessalonica, because there was a guy there named Jason, okay? You, you rarely find the name Jason in the Bible. In fact, I think this might be the only time, okay? Like Joel, Joel, he has an entire book, right? Jason, only one shot mention, okay? So I love it. Uh, and what I love more is the angry mob, right? You know how Jason solved the issue? Jason paid them money. Well, this Jason solved his problems with money, okay? Uh, this Jason, this Jason, his problems still with him, okay? But uh, yeah, so that was Thessalonica. And Paul, he... Obviously, right, he did not want to burden them, so he left, he left to Berea. And they had a short, good time of ministry, but guess what, this angry mob, after receiving money from Jason, okay, still went to Berea, okay, and caused problems for Paul there. But perhaps because the ministry there was great, Paul told Silas and Timothy, who was following him all this while, he said, you stay here, I'm going to move on. Right? So he moved on and he went to Athens. And in Athens, really, it was a mixed result. If you read, you got people who believe. You got people who say, you know what, I'm open to hear more. And then you've got people who mock Paul as well. So it's sort of like a mixed result. I don't know whether it was this good, was this bad. And then after that, he moved to Corinth. And in Corinth, um, it wasn't great either. In fact, I'm going to read a short snippet from Acts. And he says this, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews uh, that the Christ was Jesus. So this was in Corinth. And when they opposed and reviled, okay, hopefully I pronounce the word right, okay. So the whole idea is they were against him. Uh, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Can you hear the frustration in his voice at this point? And up till this moment, Paul has not been having a great time. It started really with a break from his, his ministry partner, Barnabas, and then he went to prison. And then after prison, he got chased by an angry mob. Even after he left there, the angry mob chased him. And then now he's here. People are still not really receiving the message that he has. He would, any human would be at a very low point of their lives if they experience what Paul experienced. And that's why when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, remember he's in Corinth, right? He said, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. That was the state Paul was at when he was in Corinth. Now, why this matters? Because then Silas and Timothy, who he left at Berea, caught up with him. And when they caught up with him, they brought news, news about the church in Thessalonica. And when he heard that news, he wrote a letter. That's why when you read 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, it starts off with Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, Silvanus, another name for Silas. So the three of them were there. Now, and the great thing was this. Silas and Timothy did not just bring any news. They brought real good news. So much so that when you read uh, the letter of 
First Thessalonians, you can see that Paul sounded like he was in great high spirits. He was happy, he was thankful, he was praising the Lord. Why? Because it was good news. And what was that news? That this church was living in a way that was really worthy, if I could put it that way. And I think all of us, sometimes when we hear a life that sounds really worth living, it invokes something in us, doesn't it? I remember recently I heard a story about this guy who during MCO, now MCO, potentially for a lot of us, it was a date season of our life, maybe, right? We could not do much, just sitting in front of a computer the whole time. But there was one guy I heard, what happened was, he realized during MCO, uh, there were a lot of students who were suffering from online classes because a lot of the teachers were just not equipped for online classes. So what did he do? He started an online tuition, started with a few students, and eventually he grew and grew and grew. And what I last said was he had like 400 students in his online tuition. That's bigger than some of the schools, guys. And the most amazing thing was he gave it all for free. Now, when I hear stories like that, I'm like, that's a life worth living. It invokes something. It either causes me to be inspired, to be encouraged. When you see a life worth living, you feel something. You know that's different. That's not your normal kind of life. And when we talk about this series, we are not just hoping to tell you about lives worth living. We are hoping to invite you to be part of it so that you get to experience that kind of life as well. But the tension here is this. Because when we talk about a life worth living, if I were to ask someone from there and someone from there and someone from maybe back there, you three might give really different answers. Someone might say a life worth living is about uh, having a good family, right? Taking care of your family. Is that a good answer? I think that's great. Maybe a life worth living could be uh, I am financially free. Is that a great answer? That's great, right? All the answers could be different. Maybe some would be really popular. But... And I think the funniest one I heard was recently, this guy who said, for me, a life that is amazing, worth living, is when one day I'm rich enough to do what? To sit back, take a USD note, burn it, and smoke it, okay? For him, that was a life worth living. I'm like, that's amazing, okay? Uh, that's not mine, okay? So all of us might have a different way of answering that. And really, the way we answer depends on how we fill in the blank to this sentence, Walk in a manner worthy of blank. So for some of us, really, we might say, I'm living in a way that I'm walking in a manner worthy of, maybe if you're in corporate, of a promotion. So when you look at all your behaviors, you are gearing for that. You are trying to hit targets and all that, maybe you might even OT, so that you can walk in a manner worthy of a promotion. Maybe for some of you who are younger, you're trying to walk in a manner worthy of being, take for instance, a social media influencer. So whenever you go and eat, you take pictures, you make sure you block, record all of your, your different times in the day. Why? Because you are trying to walk in a manner worthy of being a social media influencer. And when Paul saw the church in Thessalonians, he said, you guys walk in a manner worthy of God. Now that sounds like a big thing. I know. When I hear that, I also feel it's a big thing. But I'm glad and grateful that somehow when Paul wrote, I know he did not write it for us, but perhaps, right, maybe God guided him all that. He also described to the readers what that life looks like. And for today, I'm really going to start off by giving a little description, a little picture, if I could paint it for all of us, how this life looks like. I'm walking in a manner worthy of 
God. So I'm going to continue. Just now I showed you First Thessalonians 1, uh, 1. Now I'm going to continue with 2 and 3. It reads this, we, now again, Paul, Silas, Timothy. We give thanks to God always for all of you. You can hear, right? He's thankful, he's uplifted. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these three things, faith, love, and hope. If you read Paul's letters, you would know this is not the only time he mentions these three things. Okay, Paul often mentions this. And I think this is the key thing that captures, helps us to realize what a life worthy, um, worthy manner uh, to God looks like. There's an element of faith, there's an element of love, there's an element of hope. But what I love most about Thessalonians is he did not just say faith, love, and hope. Because when we talk about faith, all of us are faith. I believe in God. Ah, I got faith, right? Love. I say I love you, right? That's love, right? What does it really mean? And you see Paul attaching certain words to these three words. And I'm going to elaborate a bit for that, uh, on that for all of us. Now, for faith, he uses the word work. Just this morning, I was actually preaching to the Chinese uh, Mandarin-speaking teens about this. And I asked, what do you mean? What do you think it means when we say um, work of faith? Kate, you not? Some of them answered. That means you do a job that requires faith. I said, wow, which means if let's say I'm, uh, let's say the easiest task, okay, take for instance, okay, not trying to uh, be rude, but let's say I'm cleaning the toilets, let's say that's my task. So that's not a work of faith? They're like, yeah, probably not, right? That does not require much faith. Now, that's not what Paul means. That's, it's not about, oh, you work at church or, or, or all that, but really this work comes from this word ergon, which means behaviors and actions. And the idea is this, that if you really have a strong faith, I should be able to tell because I can see it, I can hear it. And for the church at Thessaloni, uh, Thessalonica, he could. That's why later on in 1 Thessalonians 1, he wrote this, he said, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, See, that's the sound, right? You could hear it. It's gone forth everywhere. He tells say how they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What are those? Those are behaviors. Those are actions. Those are things that you can see, you can hear, you can perceive from someone else's life. And that is part and parcel of what uh, walking in a manner worthy of God looks like. That if we say we believe, people should see, people should know. Now, he goes on to say, labor of love. Now if, okay, my English is not great, but in my limited vocab, work and labor sounds like the same thing, okay? Uh, but if you read the original text, it means really quite different, quite different things. For love, you use the word labor, and it means this. It says, tall, it's a work that involves weariness and fatigue. Now, I know for most of us, when we talk about loving someone else outside of your family, uh, I find a lot of times is we love with whatever spare that we have, right? Make sure I got food to eat first and then whatever extra I can give, right? Uh, giving people out of spare. But here, he, he describes love in a different way. If I could be so bold to say it, it's almost like love until there's a feeling of weariness and fatigue. Now, that's crazy. And I think that's something that in our current age, wow, it's a red flag. Whoa, burnout. Wait, I can't love someone until I burn out. That's, that's bad, right? Until I become so tired, that's bad, right? So, so what does it mean? Uh, and when I read this, 
Actually, I feel very strongly for this. Uh, just take for instance, Friday. Uh, Friday, I, I started my day at 6.30 and I really reached home at 11.30 p.m. Why? In between, I'm just meeting back to back, back to back, back to back. It's not like, oh, halfway through, I got three hours break, I can chill and all that. It's really meeting back to back and you might hear my voice is a bit weird, right? Because yesterday, we had a campus worship prayer night, so I had to lead that. So when I came back on Friday, then I had to practice that a bit. Uh, and this is not like an exception to a norm. Uh, this is often, right? Because there's just a lot of different people to meet and care for. And sometimes when I, uh, when some of my leaders, they see that and all that, uh, in fact, yesterday I was conversing with one and he would ask, wow, don't you get like tired or, or stressed or like, why do you even continue doing this? Now, of course, I get tired. Some of you, you might say, Jason, you're a single guy, right? You're not married, no kids. That's why you can do that. But guys, it's also tiring. But if you ask me, would I do that all over again? I would. Because I'm trying to say this in the least cringe possible manner. I love the people that's under my care. I really do. And it's out of that that I am willing to be tired, if I could make sense, right, um, for them. And I think when Paul, when he saw the church at Thessalonians, he saw that, that when they say they love people, it wasn't really just out of whatever extra that they have. Then I give. But they really went the extra mile until you could feel that they were tired. Right? There was an element of fatigue. Now, and the third thing he talked about was this word, steadfastness. He used hope, he attached to the word steadfastness, which means regardless what you go through, right? Uh, so at the time, they were seeing some of the fellow Christians, they were dying and, and all that, right? So how do we perceive in hope? How do we remain hopeful? He uses the word steadfast, you endure. You don't just be hopeful when things are going well, but even when things are tough, you endure. So he uses these three words. Now, today is really the first session of this whole series, right? And later on in the series, there will be, I trust, hope will be touched quite a fair bit, love also, talking about how uh, Paul really emulated that for them. And so we'll leave that for the weeks to come. But today, I really want to end with this thing, work of faith. When I say end, I actually still got a lot of things to say, all right? Uh, work of faith. And I think when we talk about work of faith, or rather when we talk about faith, it always starts with a message. Uh, I think that's often how it starts. That's why we are called to bring the gospel, right? That's a message. And for the church at Thessalonians, they too got a message. Uh, if I continue reading now, 1 Thessalonians 1, it says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you. If I could summarize the key message here, and I think it applies for all of us. How does this work of faith start? It starts with the message, right? And the message is this, that God loves you, God chose you, God came to you. As simple as that. And it has to start with that. Recently, I was talking to a, a teen, okay? And I was asking this teen, how did you come to the faith? Okay, so this teen uh, came from, from another church, but long time didn't go already, like really long, and then came to explore and found uh, our teen's community, really something that he could relate with. So then I, I met him one-on-one, -on -one and I asked, how do you came to the faith? I say this, actually, I came to the faith because I watched a Facebook video and it told me how scary hell is. And I don't want to be there. Worms come up from the eye and all that. You tell me, I said, wow, I cannot, I don't want to be there. That's why I became Christian. 
Now, when I hear that, I say, oh, that's okay, that's one way. Sure, that's one way. But then as I talk further, so how has this faith transformed you? Oh, not really. I just call myself Christian because I don't want to go hell. Now, that's fascinating. And while I hear that from a teen, sometimes that could be a lot of us also. And why was it like that? Because he started off with the wrong message. So my response to him was this. I said, you know, if someone doesn't end up at hell, they end up where? Heaven, right? Uh, and in heaven, I said, uh, so how would you describe heaven? Oh, a very enjoying place. I said, why enjoy? Because whatever I enjoy now, I will enjoy even more there. Like if I like to play badminton or play game, I'll enjoy even more there. Okay, I said, that's one way to look at it. But really, why we will enjoy that is because we enjoy the love of God, the relationship we have with Him. And so I, I invited Him. I said, you know, all this while, you call yourself a Christian because you feared hell. Could I invite you to uh, re-explore? Now, instead of knowing more about hell, you know more about God. And hopefully, in your knowing about God, you start to love Him and because you experience His love. Right? So now we are taking a different trajectory. And guess what? I trust if eventually he knows God well enough and he loves him, will his life be transformed? I'm pretty sure it will. Because now his focus is not just about getting out of hell. Now his life is about how can I glorify God? Now that's going to be transforming for him. So it really starts with a message. And the message is simple. God loves you. God chose you. God came to you. And now, I know this is a sidetrack, but if you have not experienced that, I really hope uh, whoever brought you here, your friend, ask them, what really is this message about? It starts with that. Now, of course then, the next thing is this message. How was it delivered to the people? It was delivered, if you read here, right, in word, right? Sometimes we preach to you, we tell you. We explain to you, sometimes it's in power. You see miracles. I know uh, recently I was talking to someone. I said, why do you remain in the faith? He says, he says, because in the past, I see God move in my life. I saw miracles. So for some, it's power. Some is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit touches the deepest part of your heart. And some is because whoever is preaching, right? In this case, it was Paul. They preach with full conviction. You're like, this guy seems like he knows his stuff. I better trust him, okay? Right? For some of us, different ways. In fact, if I could even go so far to say, sometimes in delivering it also, uh, I love how Paul uses these three words. He says this, We exhorted, now I'm jumping to 1 Thessalonians 2 a bit. He says, We exhorted each one of you, encouraged you and charged you. Now these three words uh, mean really different things, okay? Uh, exhorted means uh, para, coming close. Kaleo has a feeling of loudness to it, okay? It's almost like, we've delivered this message to you loudly before, right? Now, encourage uh, is really in a soothing manner. So, told you soothingly, charge is solemnly, so more serious. So, we have delivered this message to you. Seriously, we have delivered it to you. Soothingly, we have delivered it to you loudly. Now, that I think covers all possible ways I can tell you something, right? Loud, soothing, and serious. But I think eventually, it's not just about how the message is just being delivered. Because I think for some of us, uh, you know of people who have heard this message again and again and again and again, yet, do we see the work part of the faith? We don't, right? We don't. We maybe, they will call themselves Christian, but nothing changes. In fact, I was talking to someone recently, he told me, uh, 16 years old, I, I was already part of church, but you know, 
I was there for like three years, nothing changed, nothing happened. And I know you know people like that. And maybe for some of you, as I say this, you're like, actually, that's me too, right? I, I have the faith, but the work part, living it out part, is really not there. And I find the key is this. And I want to start this series off with this little phrase. Uh, he continues, let me read. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, Remember, that's a word. They receive it. And what happens? They accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. I think for work of faith to happen, the word has to work in us. You got to work in us. You, you can't just listen one side and go out the other side. Then the work of faith won't happen. The work of faith happens when the word begins working in us. I want to end with one last story to give you a picture of what a word working in you looks like that results in a work of faith. Um, two months ago, roughly there, I called another of our teen leader, call level. So if you're familiar, you got call, then you got life group leader, all right? So call level. And as I was talking to, to this teen, uh, the teen shared that, wow, life is tough because here I got to serve, I've got uh, studies, and then I've even got extracurricular activities, competitions and all that. And really, it was getting quite overwhelming. And trying to be the nice leader, I said, okay, okay, then ministry, you chill a bit. Ministry, you chill a bit, okay? You focus your studies, you focus your, your extracurricular activity because the last thing I want is to receive a phone call from your parent and comment, Jason, nah, you ask my kid, okay? So I said, chill, chill, chill. Now, one month later, so I catch up with my leaders once a month, right? One month later, I call this person again. And what happens is, now I hear a very different tone. This person tells me, Jason, yeah, I still got exam, I still got all the extracurricular, I still got serving. But now I, I feel I'm at peace. I don't feel overwhelmed. I said, how come? Just one month, what, what changed? Now, if you can recall, one month ago, we had a series called Margin, all right? Margin. And in Margin, uh, the key verse was 2 Corinthians 9, 8. I hope I got that right. Talking about how uh, God's grace is sufficient for us to abound in all good works. When this teen heard that from the sermon, the teen got curious. I want to find out more what that means. So on this teen's own accord, went home, started to read up on this verse. And as this teen uh, begins to read, I trust the word began working. And in big, uh, as it worked, right, uh, then it transformed to when I had the call. So the teen told me, say, because that verse transformed my life, I began reading it and I began to try to live it out and believe it. So right now I have peace. Why? Because I trust, even though I'm very busy, God will help me. His grace is sufficient. Recently, I called again. In this conversation, I was teasing the thought. I said, I know this year you got your major exam. So next year, I'm thinking to raise you from a coach, become a life group leader. But no rush, you focus on your major big exam first. And this person replied, Jason, actually now also can. I said, whoa, 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 chill, chill. I, I don't want to get into trouble with your parents, yo. Right? So, but why? Why do you say now only can? When two months ago, I hear that you were so overwhelmed. And this team replied this. I said, you know, Jason, life will always be busy. 
and time can always be managed. So I'm willing to take it up because I will manage my time and I trust God to help me. Wow, I hear that. I'm like, that's, that's crazy. This person's 17 years old only but has such a work of faith. She don't have to tell me she's Christian. I can see it from the way she lives it out. And I hope that for all of us, as we go through this series, I'm ending already, one last minute. I hope that it won't just be a word that was delivered to us, loudly, softly, soothingly, in power, full conviction and all that. But ultimately, all, each and every one of us, as we hear, the word will begin working in us. As it works in us, then we will live out the work of faith. And I trust that eventually as we continue that, when we look at life, we will realize we are walking in a manner worthy of God. Let me close with a prayer. God, we thank you for this letter. What an amazing letter it is. And I ask that even as we read it, we'll not just skim through the pages, but we will allow the Word to work in us thoroughly. And as it does, it will transform our faith so that we will start to have work of faith that when people see us, they can see that faith in us. And I ask that as that happens, eventually we will live a life that is worthy of you. Walk in a manner worthy of you and help each and every one of us to do that, to reach that. All this I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen.